Okay, so my privilege to introduce Allison, today's speaker. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really nice to see all of you. Um, I am the executive pastor here at the River, and we're currently in a sermon series called The Difference Advent Can Make. So you may have heard the word Advent before. The word Advent comes from the Latin word for Adventus, which means arrival or coming. And in the Christian church, Advent is a liturgical season focused on the arrival of Jesus. On Christmas Day, we celebrate Jesus' arrival into this world. And in the weeks beforehand, we spend time thinking together about what Jesus' arrival has meant and will continue to mean for us and for the world. So scholars don't know for sure when Christians began to observe Advent as a season, but it seems to have been in existence by the year 480. Over the years, practices during the season have changed and evolved. Uh, for a long time, it was a season of fasting, similar uh, to Lent, the weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, today, many observe the season by lighting candles in an Advent wreath or by opening up windows in an Advent calendar. What hasn't changed is the impulse to try to better understand the meaning of Jesus' birth. On the one hand, the nativity story is one that we may have heard countless times. It may feel familiar and comforting. And yet, at the same time, Jesus' arrival also remains mysterious. How exactly did God become a human baby? Why did God do this? What does it mean for us? And what does it mean for the world? The season of Advent gives us some time and space to delve deeper into these mysteries. Throughout the Bible, there are stories of God appearing <clears throat> to humans in different forms. This type of encounter is often called a theophany. Different from divine inspiration or revelation, which may happen inwardly, a theophany is an outward manifestation of God's presence, observable or tangible in some way. Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden. Jacob wrestled with God in the form of a man. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. God appeared to the Israelites as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There are many other examples of theophany throughout the Bible. Some scholars consider Jesus' human life to be the prime example of theophany. Jesus was God incarnate, and his life was certainly observable and tangible. But other scholars say that Jesus' incarnation doesn't quite fit the category. They point out that theophanies are usually more temporary and sudden than what we saw with Jesus. The Bible itself would seem to agree that something different was happening with Jesus' human life on earth. The book of Hebrews says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. The author noted that previously God spoke to their ancestors in many and various ways. These ways included theophanies. But most recently, God had spoken to them through a son, by which the author was referring to Jesus. According to the author, Jesus shared the exact imprint of God's very being. And so, by knowing Jesus, by better understanding the meaning of his life, we can come to know God more deeply. Each part of Jesus' life, including his birth, public ministry, private relationships, death, and resurrection, has something important to teach us. During Advent, we are invited to give Jesus' birth extra consideration, to turn our attention to the ways that this particular part of his story helps us to understand more about the nature of God. The book of Matthew is one of the Gospels that includes a story about Jesus' birth. In this version of the story, an angel of God appears to Joseph in a dream and speaks to him about Mary's pregnancy. In Matthew 1, 21-23, the angel said, She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Upon this point, the author of Matthew offers some commentary. He wrote, All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Here, the author is referring to a portion of the book of Isaiah that reads, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. The author of Matthew interprets Jesus' birth as fulfillment of this promise in Isaiah. What is really interesting to me here is the name used for Jesus, Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. You may be familiar with this word from the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. There are many different words used to refer to God throughout the Bible. Each of them helps us to understand a different aspect of God's character. It seems that Jesus, the exact imprint of God's very being, is meant to help us understand this particular aspect of God, what it means for God to be with us. There are many ways of understanding the idea of being with. Physical proximity, mutual understanding, alignment, loyalty, solidarity, care, and concern. To be with us, the book of John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In this decision to take on flesh, to become human, we see God's desire to always be moving closer to us. This is not to say that God is or ever was remote or distant. No, God is always already with us wherever we are, physically or emotionally. But our perception of God's closeness can change over time. 
the extent to which we feel seen, known, understood, and valued has the potential to expand and deepen. God is always on the move, always pursuing deeper relationships and connections with us. In many of the theophanies in the Bible, those tangible manifestations I mentioned earlier, God temporarily took on the likeness of a human adult. And so I find it interesting that with Jesus, God did something different. God came to the world in the form of an infant. Now, I have no conscious memory of what it was like to be a baby, but from the outside, it looks pretty challenging to me. You know, as a baby, you're physically weak. You are totally dependent on others for your survival. You do not get to control who picks you up or where they take you or pretty much anything else about your life. You have very limited means by which to communicate your wants and needs. I don't think any of us would want to live that way, given the choice. And yet, that's exactly what God did. I don't think Jesus became an infant for the pleasure of that experience. Instead, I believe it was to demonstrate just how deeply God loves us, just how much God wants to connect. God wanted to share in the entirety of the human experience with us. Because when we love someone, we try our best to be where they are, physically and emotionally. And we try to share in their experiences when we can. Have you ever taken steps to be with someone more deeply? Or maybe someone has done this for you. The times when people have done this for me have been incredibly powerful. I think of the friend who intentionally scheduled a seven-hour layover in New York City so we could spend time together catching up and wandering the city. I think of a different friend who, after I shared some personal experiences, read and shared articles that validated everything I had been going through. I think of my husband who spent months working East Coast hours from the West Coast so that we could be with my mom when she was sick with cancer. This movement towards being with is both the way in which God operates and a model for us to follow. In the same way that God took active steps to move toward us by taking on the full human experience, we can take active steps to be more deeply with ourselves, others, and the world around us. Another implication of God's decision to become an infant is that it shows us that weakness and limitations are not so shameful that they must be avoided at all costs. We may not always be aware of it, but this is an attitude we can often hold. When we are young, we often long to be older. We hate how powerless we can feel and fantasize about what it will be like to be an adult, to be free and in control. We believe that there will be a point at which we arrive and have everything figured out. Unfortunately, as we get older, we discover that we will always have limitations. 
that there are so many things in our lives and in the world that are out of our control. We wonder why life frequently feels like a failed attempt to herd cats. <laughs> and we can judge ourselves really harshly for feeling this way, like we don't have control over everything. So what if, instead of judging ourselves for our limitations, we accepted them as a normal, neutral part of the human condition, just like Jesus did? What if we went even further and acknowledged that limitations can sometimes play a positive role in our lives by doing things like helping us to grow and helping us to connect more deeply with others? Or what if we went as far as to actually extend unconditional love to the parts of ourselves that are limited or weak? To treat them with compassion and understanding? What if unconditionally embracing our humanity is actually a way we can welcome the infant Jesus into our lives and into the world? In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. When we consider the infant Jesus, God in the form of a baby, we are reminded of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, a kingdom where there is strength in weakness and weakness in strength, where the first will be last and the last will be first, where the poor are rich and the rich are poor, and where the least are the greatest and the greatest must be servants. What might it look like for us to adopt some godly wisdom around weakness and failure and worthiness? How might that change how we view ourselves and others? What kind of godly foolishness might we find ourselves embracing? I don't know about you, but godly foolishness sounds like a lot of fun to me. When we think about Jesus' birth, it is easy to get hung up on the fact that Jesus became flesh in a particular body, in a particular location, at a particular time in history. It can feel at times like God only came to be with those people in that place. Or I can bring up questions, like why didn't God incarnate as a woman? I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I wish I did. But I do know that one of the mysteries of our faith, and particularly of Advent, is the truth that Jesus was born for all people of all times. The reality that Jesus, who has already come, is still coming to be with all people of all backgrounds and in each of our lives again and again and again. To illustrate this truth, Christians from diverse backgrounds have artistically depicted Jesus as coming to be with them in their own cultures in the present time. Often this has been done through nativity paintings, scenes depicting Jesus' birth narratives. But such expressions are by no means limited to the infant Jesus. 
Now, you may have heard me talk about and show these type of images in a sermon before. I definitely have. Um, but I think they are worth revisiting again today. Especially when it comes to the deepest mysteries of our faith, the ones that are hardest to understand and to absorb, it is helpful to come back to them again and again, to be reminded of what we have forgotten and also to make new discoveries. This is why we celebrate Advent and Christmas, Lent and Easter, year after year after year. So during this Advent season, give yourself permission to learn something new about God, about yourself, or about others. Allow yourself to wonder about what it might look like for God to arrive in your life in a new way. If you were to draw a picture, what might it look like? Now, you don't actually have to draw a picture unless you want to, but it can be helpful to envision. Where might the scene be set? Who might be there? What might God in the flesh look like to you today? So to wrap up, I would like to invite the worship team back up here and let me pray for us. God, help us to remember that you are Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Remind us of the ways you have been with us in the past. Give us eyes to see the ways you are with us in the present. And fill us with hope that you'll be with us as we move into the future. Empower us to walk in the way of unconditional love. Shape us into people who know how to be with ourselves and with others. With every infant we see, let us remember your faithfulness and desire to draw near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>